Chapter 5 of Tales of Mean Streets. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynette Calkins. Tales of Mean Streets by Arthur Morrison. A Change of Circumstances. Lizer was some months short of twenty-one when her third child was born. The pickle factory had discarded her some time before, and since that her trade had consisted in odd jobs of charring. Odd jobs of charring have a shade the better of a pickle factory in the matter of respectability, but they are precarious, and they are worse paid at that. In the East End they are sporadic and few. Moreover, it is in the household where paid help is a rarity that the bitterness of servitude is felt. Also, the uncertainty and irregularity of the returns were a trouble to Billy Chope. He was never sure of having got them all. It might be ninepence, or a shilling, or eighteenpence. Once or twice, to his knowledge, it had been half a crown, from a chance job at a doctor's or a parson's, and once it was three shillings. That it might be a half-crown or three shillings again, and that some of it was being kept back, was ever the suspicion evoked by Lizer's evening homing. Plainly, with these fluctuating and uncertain revenues, more bashing than ever was needed to ensure the extraction of the last copper. Empty-handedness called for bashing on its own account, so that it was often Lizer's hap to be refused a job because of a black eye. Lizer's self was scarcely what it had been. The red of her cheeks, once bounded only by the eyes and the mouth, had shrunk to a spot in the depth of each hollow. Gaps had been driven in her big white teeth, even the snub nose had run to a point, and the fringe hung dry and ragged, while the bodily outline was as a sack's. At home the children lay in her arms, or tumbled at her heels, puling and foul. Whenever she was near it there was a mangle to be turned, for lately Billy's mother had exhibited a strange weakness, sometimes collapsing with a gasp in the act of brisk or prolonged exertion, and often leaning on whatever stood hard by and grasping at her side. This ailment she treated, when she had tuppence, in such terms as made her smell of gin and peppermint, and more than once this circumstance had inflamed the breast of Billy her son, who was morally angered by this boozing away of money that was really his. Lizer's youngest, being seven or eight months old, was mostly taking care of itself, when Billy made a welcome discovery after a hard and pinching day. The night was full of blinding wet, and the rain beat on the window as on a drum. Billy sat over a small fire in the front room, smoking his pipe, while his mother folded clothes for delivery. He stamped twice on the hearth, and then, drawing off his boot, he felt inside it. It was a nail. The poker head made a good anvil, and, looking about for a hammer, Billy bethought him of a brick from the mangle. He rose, and lifting the lid of the weight box, groped about among the clinkers and the other ballast, till he came upon a small but rather heavy paper parcel. "'Ere, what's this?' he said, and pulled it out. His mother, whose back had been turned, hastened across the room, hand to breast. It had got to be her habit. "'What is it, Billy?' she said. "'Not that. There's nothing there. I'll get anything you want, Billy.' And she made a nervous catch at the screw of paper. But Billy fended her off, and tore the package open. It was money, arranged in little columns of farthings, halfpence, and threepenny pieces, with a few sixpences— a shilling or two, and a single half-sovereign. Oh, said Billy. This is the game, is it? Oiden money in the mangle. Got any more? 
and he hastily turned the brickbats. No, Billy, don't take that. Don't, implored his mother. There'll be some money for them things when they go home. Ava, I'm saving it, Billy, for something particular. Help me God, I am, Billy. Yes, replied Billy, raking diligently among the clinkers, saving it for good old booze, and now you won't have one. Bleeding nice thing, hiding money away from your own son. It ain't for that, Billy. Salt me it ain't. It's case anything happens to me, only to put me away decent, Billy. That's all. We never know, and you'll be glad of it to help bury me if I should go any time. I'll be glad of it now, answered Billy, who had it in his pocket, and I've got it. You ain't a dying sort, you ain't, and if you was, the parish would soon tuck you up. Perhaps you'd be straighter about money after this. Let me have some, then. You can't want it all. Give me some, and then have the money for the things. There's ten dozen and seven, and you can take em yourself if you like. What, in this ear rain? Not me. I bet I'd have the money if I wanted it without that. Ear, change these ear fardens at the draper's when you go out. There's two bobs worth in penrith. I don't want to bust my pockets with em. While they spoke, Lizer had come in from the back room, but she said nothing. She rather busied herself with the child she had in her arms. When Billy's mother, despondent and tearful, had tramped out into the rain with a pile of clothes in an oilcloth wrapper, she said sulkily, without looking up, "'You might have let her kept that. You get all you want.' At another time, this remonstrance would have provoked active hostilities. But now, with the money about him, Billy was complacently disposed. "'You shut your head,' he said. "'I got this anyhow. She can make it up out of my rent if she likes.' This last remark was a joke, and he chuckled as he made it, for Billy's rent was a simple fiction, devised, on the suggestion of a smart canvasser, to give him a parliamentary boat. That night, Billy and Lizer slept, as usual, in the bed in the back room, where the two younger children also were. Billy's mother made a bedstead nightly with three chairs and an old trunk in the front room by the mangle, and the eldest child lay in a floor bed near her. Early in the morning, Lizer awoke at a sudden outcry of the little creature. He clawed at the handle till he opened the door and came, staggering and tumbling into the room, with screams of terror. "'Ring his blasted neck,' his father grunted sleepily. "'What's the kid owling for?' "'I's fade a guinea! I's fade a guinea!' was all the child would say, and when he had said it he fell to screaming once more. Lizer rose and went to the next room and straightway came a scream from her also. Oh, oh, Billy, Billy, oh my God, Billy, come here! And Billy, fully startled, followed in Lizer's wake. He blundered in, rubbing his eyes, and saw. Stark on her back, in the huddled bed of old wrappers and shawls, lay his mother. The outline of her poor face, strained in an upward stare of painful surprise, stood sharp and meager against the black of the grate beyond but the muddy old skin was white and looked cleaner than its wont, and many of the wrinkles were gone. Billy Chope, halfway across the floor, recoiled from the corpse and glared at it pallidly from the doorway. "'Good God!' he croaked faintly. "'Is she dead?' Seized by a fit of shuddering breaths, Lizer sank on the floor and with her head across the body presently broke into a storm of hysterical blubbering, while Billy, white and dazed, dressed hurriedly, and got out of the house. He was at home as little as might be until the coroner's officer carried away the body two days later. When he came for his meals, he sat doubtful and querulous in the matter of the front room doors being shut. The dead once cleared away, however, he resumed his faculties and clearly saw that here was a bad change for the worse. 
There was the mangle, but who was to work it? If Lizer did, there would be no more charring jobs, a clear loss of one-third of his income. And it was not at all certain that the people who had given their mangling to his mother would give it to Lizer. Indeed, it was pretty sure that many would not, because mangling is a thing given by preference to widows, and many widows of the neighborhood were perpetually competing for it. Widows, moreover, had the first call in most odd jobs whereunto Lizer might turn her hand, an injustice whereupon Billy meditated with bitterness. The inquest was formal and unremarked, the medical officer having no difficulty in certifying a natural death from heart disease. The bright idea of a collection among the jury, which Billy communicated with pitiful representations to the coroner's office, was brutally swept aside by that functionary made cunning by much experience. So the inquest brought him naught save disappointment and a sense of injury. The mangling orders fell away as suddenly and completely as he had feared. They were duly absorbed among the local widows. Neglect the children as Lizer might, she could no longer leave them as she had done. Things then were bad with Billy, and neither threats nor thumps could evoke a shilling now. It was more than Billy could bear, so that, ear, he said one night, I've had enough of this. You go and get some money. Go on. Go and get it, replied Lizer. Oh, yes, that's easy, ain't it? Go and get it, says you. Ow. Anyhow, I don't care. Go on. Why, replied Lizer, looking up with wide eyes, do you think I can go and pick it up in the street? Course you can. Plenty others does, don't they? God, Billy, what do you mean? What well, I say. Plenty others does it. Go on. You ain't so bleeding innocent as all that. Go and see Sam Cardew. Go on. Ook it. Lizer, who had been kneeling at the child's floor bed, rose to her feet, pale-faced and bright of eye. Stop kidding, Billy, she said. You don't mean that. I'll go around to factory in the morning. Perhaps they'll take me on temporary. Damn the factory. He pushed her into the passage. Go on, you get me some money if you don't want your bleeding head knocked off. There was a scuffle in the dark passage with certain blows, a few broken words, and a sob. Then the door slammed and Lizer Chope was in the windy street. End of chapter 5